This is Pixelated Audio, episode 119, featuring the music of Eve Burst Error. Welcome to Pixelated Audio, a podcast focusing on game audio, its history, and the men and women behind it. We're your hosts, Brian and Gene, and today we're going to be going back to the NEC PC-98 with some incredible FM jams from a game called Eve Burst Error. Yeah, we've been wanting to do this episode for a very long time. It's been on the list. We keep moving it back. We keep moving it back. Why is that? Well, I think there's a lot of legacy here because we're talking about some composers that have quite a bit of a pedigree. Right. And so we wanted to really do this justice. And I think we just kept pushing it back. We're like, ah, we're just not ready for it yet. We're not ready for it yet. The, the music is so great. We want to share it with everybody who hasn't heard it and uh, talk about it with you guys. So I think that um, it was just time to, p- to put this together and just bite the bullet and just yeah, do it. I was going to say no more overthinking it. Just get the episode together and put it out there. <laughs> yeah. So that track that brought us in was Day Marina or Nichijo composed by Ryo Takami using the YM2203 or OPN. That's one of the first tracks that brings in the game, and it's a really good start for what you can expect from the rest of the soundtrack. I love it. Every time I hear a track with a nice, groovy, funky bass, it gets me going. Right. He's got some very awesome piano dancing around that I I like that we'll see kind of carry out throughout the soundtrack. Lots of jazz influence, very interesting chord changes and progressions. And I think that as we get through more tracks, you're going to see the creativity that uh, both these composers had while designing the soundtrack. Yeah, you're going to hear both a lot of repeated motifs coming back between tracks and just a lot of really great music that covers a wide range of styles. And you know how we are on the show about wide ranging styles and genres. It's, It's just, I think that's probably some of our favorite 
shows to cover is these ones that are just so diverse and really interesting, and this is no exception. Right. The soundtrack was composed by two of my favorite composers. I know Gene, you're a huge fan of both of these guys. Absolutely. Ryu Umemoto and Yu Takami. And while they worked pretty closely on a number of soundtracks, this one in particular was composed primarily by Umemoto, about 80% or so. But both composers really shine here for sure. There's some really great stuff from Takami. It's a lot less. So when we listen to Ground Seed, uh, we did the episode mm-hmm. on Ground Seed. That was a long time ago. It was about four years ago. That was mostly Takami. And uh, now it's kind of a reversal, right? We're listening to mostly Umemoto. But this, these guys, this combination is just incredible and they make magic together they really do and so i think you're gonna be able to spot the umemoto tracks right away and the takami tracks the, it has his own characteristics and style but with the same motifs that you were talking about kind of sprinkled on top which is really cool yeah they do a really great job interleaving their tracks so even though they sound very different from each other at times i think it works really well as a whole i, I think it's just sort of that close relationship you you work with somebody, you kind of borrow some ideas, you work off of a track they've got. I really love this entire soundtrack and, and it, nothing really sticks out to me because of that sort of working multiple composers. Right, thing. It doesn't. nothing feels out of place. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Anyways, Eve Burst Air is the first game in a series of Japanese visual novels set in modern day Japan. It was developed by Seasware and originally released on the PC-98 in 1995 with later ports to the Saturn and Windows in 1997. The Windows release also got an English translation in 1999, although it was fairly, it was, it was a little hard to find. It was hard to find and kind of to a niche audience. And then it was released again in 2012, which is a lot easier to find if you're trying to hunt it down. Yeah. That's actually the same release as the 99 one. It's just running in like a virtual machine. It's basically the same game, right? Right, right. Anyways, the developer, Seasware. We've talked about them before on the show. Yeah, Seasware is actually a sub-brand of a company called Himea Soft, but they're essentially the same company. And they're really best known for their EVE series, and they've developed quite a number of Japanese-style adventure games and visual novels. Many of their games contain some suggestive or adult content, but often they would do this thing where they would re-release the games to consoles or other platforms with the adult content removed. So it's another way to get a little bit more sales from the same game, but also be a little bit more of a wider appeal. Right. And this game is no exception, actually. Right. So this... When it was released on Windows and Saturn, and Saturn, it was a lot of it was taken out. A lot of yeah. that, that um, racy, risky, yeah, yeah racy it, you stuff. know. So it's not like it's not totally an explicit game, but there's definitely a lot of scenes that are a little bit on the fence. I mean, there's certainly games that go a lot further with it. But if you're not expecting it, it can kind of be a little bit jarring at times. Yeah. And this game doesn't. It's not. It's not like filthy content. No, it's, it's usually in pretty good taste for an adult game right so and it was kind of the style of the time it was was really popular in visual novels to do this kind of thing so Himea Soft was founded on October 22nd 1991 in Yokohama Japan they developed and published their first game Bacta in 92 and their last published game was Adam the Double Factor in 1999 or right around there similarly Seasware's first developed game was Fatal Relations in 1993 and their last game was Eve, the Fatal Attraction in 2001. Oh, interesting. So Adam and Eve? Yeah. So it's basically what I was talking about before. They released the original version of Adam and then Eve was the cleaned up version for other platforms. Huh. So, you know, it's a little bit, 
it's something that they've done quite a few times. Oh, I didn't realize that. So huh. many of their games probably wouldn't be known out of Japan, but if you're listening to this show, you might have heard of some of their games like Desire and Xenon, which were also composed by Umemoto. But otherwise, unless I think we've had, I think we have tracks from both of those games on here at one point. You're probably right. I'm almost positive I've seen something from Xenon on here. For sure. I don't remember Desire. The point is, they're probably more well-known for the music by Umemoto than they are as the games themselves, <laughs> right, unless right. you're huge individual novels. So right. some of these games did see a limited or quasi-official English translation, but if you really like adult visual novels, I'll leave it up to you to do your own research. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think there's visual novel databases and stuff. There's plenty of fan groups and stuff around it. Yeah, more than enough resources to, to start digging around. Yeah. All right, so Ryo Umemoto, we've talked about him before on the show. He was a composer from Yokohama, best known for his work on visual novels and shoot 'em ups, and is an undisputed master of FM synthesis. He was self taught with influences from YMO and Yuzo Koshiro. He started in the 90s and continued working until his death in 2011 at the age of 37. And we brought this up before. It's, it was a really sad thing. The guy died way before his prime. And uh, if he was still around, we would have probably heard so much more from him. And I believe in our episode when we had Masahiro Kajihara on, he had talked about his relationship with Umemoto and how he was just a wonderful person to be around. And so it's really sad that um, we lost somebody who was as talented as him. Yeah, you know, I actually found out about his passing through Hardcore Gaming 101. They wrote a really amazing article about him. It was essentially just this tribute to a wonderful person who was not only a great musician, but just a wonderful person. And everybody who crossed paths with him had nothing but wonderful things to say. So if you're interested, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's really, really a touching article. Awesome. Yeah, some of his most notable works include Princess Maker 2 for the PC-98. This is where he worked with a number of different folks. Um, you know, uh, we've talked about and played a few tracks on the show. Xenon for the PC-98 and FM Towns. Ground Seed, we had that whole episode based on on Ground Seed, which was a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Really great music. Amazing soundtrack. Yeah. And there's the Mushihime series. Uh, he also did Espeluga 2 and Nin 2 Jump. And then Akai Katana was uh, his last game, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of 360 games, a lot of shmups towards the end there. And still really great soundtracks. Definitely modernized, updated, more electronic synthy kind of stuff. Right. But really well composed. Yeah. Oh, and he also did Cyveria that game i forgot to mention that too he also worked on that which was an arcade and ps2 game yeah yeah i'm not as familiar with it but i know i think it's also a shmup right yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. so ryu takami is another composer from yokohama and really a fantastic composer in his own right he's also a master of fm synthesis which isn't that surprising considering that he and umemoto worked together quite a lot for a number of years I really believe they probably developed a couple of FM tricks together. Like, oh, yeah, I got this technique. Oh, you should try that out. Yeah. And I think there's some mention on Umemoto's website and Takami's comments that um, they were sharing some some of the ideas between each other and stuff. So I I can totally see that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So he worked on a few games that you might know of, at least from their game music, even if you don't know the games. Uh, Cosmic Psycho for the PC-98. I've been seeing that one a lot in uh, VGM circles lately. Rusty, really amazing soundtrack. He composed most of the music for Ground Seed, as we talked about. A couple of tracks for Uno. 
uh, the game Twinkle Crusaders for Windows and PSP, some of the bonus tracks for the 360 port of Death Smiles, and in 2008, he did some engineering work for the remasters of Xenon and Eve Burst Error Perfect, which is sort of a comprehensive Eve Burst album. Right. And in 2017, he also contributed a track to Sound Shock 3, which is an excellent series of FM albums. I own all three. Go on to Bandcamp and look up Sound Shock. If you like it's FM good stuff. stuff, it's yeah, really good stuff. You're going to love it. It's really good stuff. If you want to hear more um, about these guys, you can listen to episode 47, Ground Seed, which you know we talked about a few times already. Very awesome soundtrack, and we get into a little more detail about the composers. But let's go ahead and jump into some more music. We've got plenty of it. There's a lot to go through, and uh, it's all really great stuff. So this next track we're going to listen to is called Amagi Detective Office, or Office Kojiro. And this is the OPNA version of the track that we think you guys are really going to like. That was Office Kojiro using the OPNA hardware composed by Ryu Umemoto for Eve Burst Air on the PC-98. That's a nice compliment to the first track, but they were composed by the opposite guys. I know. That bass line yeah. really ties it together, yeah. but they're very different tracks. Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite tracks in the album. They're all so good. They're all so good, and they all have their own individual qualities that I really, really like. It was so hard because this album is like... 50 60 tracks or something like that it was hard to whittle it down it was very difficult so we picked out our favorite stuff that doesn't mean that we picked the best stuff because it's all so high caliber you know and so uh this track i think is one of my favorite just because it's got the grooviest bass line and then when that what Rhodes organ comes in it's just 
Oh man, it hits me in all the right spots. I'm not sure what they're going for here exactly because it's such a chill track, but there's some crazy soloing going on in the background. It's and like the percussion line too is like all the place. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're supposed to just like groove to it or kind of pay attention to the music, but it's a nice little bed for whatever action's going on. Right, right, right. And one thing I want to I want to mention here that we haven't yet yeah. is we're all we're listening to this through real hardware. Yeah, Brian's got his computer set up right here. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Uh, t- this old yellowing keyboard. and <laughs> I know. So we're, listen- we're listening to it through a PC9821. And uh, so everything you guys are hearing is actual hardware recordings. And what's really, really great is we can break down some of the channels later on as we get into the episode. But um, that said, I think this is a good place to start talking about the sound hardware a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So. That track was using the YM2608 or the OPNA, but let's back up a bit, right? So the YM2203, Eve Burst Era was originally an OPN soundtrack only using Masahiro Kajihara's PMD driver. We've talked about that before. We talked to him about it. Yeah. Um, We've mentioned it several times, so you should be a little bit familiar with it. Uh, The 2203 can do three channels just in its normal mode sort of the default yeah yeah, it can do three channels of fm and three channels of psg in this soundtrack umemoto and takami use the extended mode of the pmd driver to create essentially seven channels or voices by extending the third fm channel using this feature of the pmd driver they can actually get that third fm channel and create four independent tones so Mm -hmm. so it's not only three FM channels for the YM2203, you can extend that in extended mode up to four independent on top of that, right? So you can do um, six, essentially six channels of FM using the OPN sound source, which is pretty incredible. As we get into the episode a little more and we listen to some more OPN tracks, we will um, we'll solo that out so you can hear what's actually going on with those extended channels. One thing I wanted to add is when I first listened to this, I didn't really believe it was OPN because it sounded so much richer than I was used to. Right. It wasn't until you explained that there was that sort of extended mode that I was like, oh, okay, well, that's why it sounds so much fuller because usually it's a pretty stark difference when you hear that three versus like six FM version. But then you listen to something on YouTube and you're like, wait a minute, something's not, this can't be OPN, right? Yeah. And the reason why is because later on, the game was originally designed for the OPN on the PC-98. They sure. thought, you know what, we're going to make uh, a version for the FM Towns. So they had this plan porting the soundtrack over. Umemoto was like, okay, I'm going to use PMD. I'm going to do you know all this stuff and create more of a, a more rich soundtrack, right, rather than just using the 2203. And they did this using the PPZ-8 driver. Mm-hmm. The driver was programmed by Uki or Kino Yoshisano, and... What PPZ-8 does is it performs control on an interrupt while controlling the PCM portion of the PC-9886. There's one channel of PCM, and the software, what it does is it allows you to control the PCM individually and create these software, essentially software channels, eight different channels. And you can control the volumes and the timbres and all that stuff individually. So it's like essentially extending yet again uh, a completely new um, set of channels. You're just doing it with the samples instead of right. the FM. Right, right. And so what we did is we loaded up the PPZ8 version, which was composed and arranged by Umemoto mm-hmm. for the FM Towns. He was like, well, I'm going to release it anyway. So we just gave it out and said, hey, you can 
you know, plug this into your computer and listen to it that way. So we're listening to still the music. It's not directly from the game, but it was intended for a port. Of right. It's game, sort of like right? a, almost not like a beta, but it was essentially here are the music files. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's what you just heard. The OPNA version using the PPZ8 driver, just like the OPN version, Umemoto and Takami use the FM extension. So they're actually getting more extensions than they originally needed, even though you have extra FM, right? So you got six FM channels with a 2608. Mm-hmm. They're using seven essentially here. He's using one extra or they're using one extra of the FM channels yeah. for that extended mode. So there's four channels of FM, three PSG um, for the OPN. So we get now the OPN A side is using FM instead of PSG. There's no PSG on the OPN A side and all six channels plus the extension, no PSG and uh, two channels of software ADPCM on the PPZ8 extension driver. So there's a lot, a lot to, to di- track. Yeah, <laughs> a lot to digest there. We'll explain as we get into it. Um, but that last track we heard, I think this is a good chance to show what that PPZ8 driver actually does in this context. So you want to take a listen to just that part? We'll start turning off the channels one by one. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So we'll turn off the FM first. And here's the extra three channels of FM for the 2608. So this is kind of only one channel right now. I think he uses two channels there, right? Yeah, for that crash, that's on the second channel. But the drums are really clean, you know? Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. So like the percussion line is completely on those extra channels. And Gina and I were talking earlier about this, um, why they didn't use the rhythm sound source on the OPNA hardware. And this is likely because it was never designed with the rhythm, rhythm sound source in mind, being that it was planned for the FM towns, mm-hmm. right? Which didn't have that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's likely the reason we won't know until we ask. Right. So, yeah. And, and the we'll rhythm sound source is basically like pre-designated samples. So like you have like a kicked sound. Uh, right. Which yeah. sound very, very clean. But then again, you know, you're limited on what you can do, really. Yeah. yeah. So they were doing a lot of this just in software, which is really cool. Yeah. So let's listen to our next track, Main Noon for Woman or Investigation Marina. And this is using the OPN sound source.
right, that track was Maine Noon for Woman or Investigation Marina. So before we actually get into the track, I want to mention why I, I was two track I was, titles. Yeah, I was going to say that next. So yeah, yeah. the very first version was probably written before the game was finalized. So you have these like placeholder, you know, for track for man, track for woman. Right. Because there are two characters, which we'll talk about. And the later track was after the game was released. They had these sort of finalized versions of the track names. So oh, it made it so confusing to go through the soundtrack. Why? Because some of the tracks have the same names, but they're not the same track. And the numbers <laughs> don't line up. There's like three or four different versions of the soundtrack, each that have completely unrelated song numbers. Right. It was a pain. Right. <laughs> we, we had to put together a spreadsheet for this. And oh my God, I hate spreadsheets. So... I did my best, and even today, in planning, we were having some trouble getting it to you. <laughs> but what a great track, dude. This one is so smooth, and like it starts off a little slow, a little bit. like It's not really going anywhere, but man, the chords are just so smooth and clean, and the PSG is just playing simple chords. Da-na-na, da-na-na. I think that's, it's just a, it's really pretty. I love tracks that have a lot of syncopation, and what what I really love about this track is that in the beginning, it settles into this kind of stasis. It really doesn't feel like it's going anywhere, and then it just keeps evolving the entire way, and it's so satisfying as the parts come in, and the, the instruments change, and new melodic stuff comes in, and it just feels so neatly paced. Yeah, the third channel, the third FM channel, um, and the extended channel they are basically echoing each other. There's not a lot going on as far as uh, dynamics, but as the track kind of gets about a minute in or so, they start playing the uh, harmony of melody in in kind of yeah. juxtaposition. There's which some fluttering counter melody really stuff. Good. Do you want to hear that? Yeah, yeah, I do. So you can hear they're just echoing each other now. One's playing like yeah. slightly delayed. Pretty classic chip tune usage there. stuff yeah this track is um fairly early in the game right yeah 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 first hour or so something like that yeah when you're playing as marina i think after you get out of the very first area you're walking around like the city and you can hear it in a a couple of spots i think yeah so to clarify when you say marina we're not talking about like a shipyard you're talking about the character no yes but when i read the track titles initially that's what i thought thought oh you're investigating a marina that makes sense no uh so (laughs) this will make sense once we actually talk about the story so eve burst air takes place in modern day japan more accurately early december in the ambiguous year of 1990x uh so it's just sort of 
90s sometime. Yeah. The game follows two main characters, Marina Hojo and Kojiro Amagi. Initially, the two characters have very little to do with each other. You start off the game, you can pick either one or the other. Right. And you're just dropped in wherever they happen to be. So if you pick Marina's story first, you end up in an office talking to her chief. She's an internationally recognized agent returning from a successful assignment in the U.S., but through a series of like 80s cop style cliches, unnecessary shootouts and that sort of thing, she's gotten into some hot water with the with the chief and some of the other <laughs> upper management. Right. So she's transferred back to Japan on a special assignment, partially as a favor by her old boss, who's trying to get her out of a little bit of trouble, but he knows that she'll be able to do the assignment perfectly. She's the best agent they've got. And so her assignment is to guard the daughter of a Middle Eastern diplomat from the fictional Eldia, a small but increasingly influential country. Yes. So Gene and I, when we decided we were going to do the research, we thought maybe it's best that we break this up. I had already played a little bit of Marina at this point, like long, long ago, because I was really in like secretly in love with this game, not because of the adult parts, but just because mostly because the music. Right. Mm -hmm. But Gene, you played as Marina. Yeah, I played as Marina for a few hours. Yeah, and then I played as Kojiro. And the story is very, very different depending on who you start with. Uh, things are, are completely, it's a diff, totally different game. It's still a visual novel, but like there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And Kojiro, on the other hand, he was a successful private detective working for the high-profile Katsuragi detective offices. When he discovers evidence of wrongdoing, he leaks to the press, which leads to his former chief's arrest, and Kojiro quits as an outcast. And this is where the game begins. He He's living and working in his own private agency in a warehouse by the docks. It's a, a filthy mess. He's like, <laughs> It's just a grimy little, like, essentially warehouse in a... It's probably damp and cold. Yeah, and <laughs> filled with like bugs and trash and mold. And um, business is desperate with Kojiro taking low pay gigs. Like he's finding lost pets and just pretty much anything the guy can scrape up. Then in typical noir fiction style, a mysterious client comes into Kojiro's office offering him an obscene amount of money for a lost painting. One that isn't actually worth much, but despite all these red flags, he ends up taking the case. Kojiro, a very interesting person. I tried it in English just to see so I could recommend it, <laughs> see if I could recommend it or not. Um, <laughs> this guy is the the biggest male chauvinist uh, I think that I've seen in a video game. I mean, even more than like Leisure Suit Larry. I mean, or Gabriel guy, Knight for that matter. <laughs> even more than Gabriel Knight. And he is a sleazebag, even though he was a, a top-notch detective. From what I played, he just has no filter. Whatever comes uh, yeah, to yeah. his mind, <laughs> he'll yeah. just say it. Yeah. You ever watch the show Fleabag? I loved that show. Uh, I did too. It was so good. He's kind of like the male version of that. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> these, you know, two characters seem a little bit boring and unrelated. Um, the assignments that they're working on, they end up having a lot that kind of tangles together as the stories unfold in this title. Yeah, you have assassins, kidnappers, mysterious identities, people popping in and out of the story. And it's really hard initially to kind of make sense of how these two things overlap. But eventually they become entirely... In they become one. Yeah, yeah, it becomes essentially the same story with their own threads tying together. Right, right. I did think it was, you know, as bad as Kojiro is, I thought it was like 
his lines, some of them were, were funny, you know, and, and like the, the banter between him and, uh, I guess his, his ex, um, boss and the, his ex colleague mm-hmm. is hilarious. Like they're, they just totally are just trash talking each other <laughs> right in front of the client. I think it's the, the funniest scene. Um, and it, again, there's a lot of humor in there. I think the Japanese version, um, I believe it's the same in the English version. I, yeah, I mean, I didn't get as far in English. Each of the two main characters has kind of like their main person that they bounce off. For Kojiro, it's either his uh, uh, the person who gives him the case or his former partner. I'm uh, sorry, uh, his former boss. Right. And Marina, it's also her former boss, but they're completely unrelated. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This game, though, the one of the problems uh with it is even though it's an extremely interesting story it really is yeah it's really well written yeah there's adult content in there but again it's still tasteful i think and um we both noticed something that was was problematic you'd go through these very intense scenes and then you would bounce into something that was like oh you know just hanging out in my office smoking a cigarette like no big deal listen to some jazz and there's numerous murders in this game i mean that's not spoiling anything and it's like the next scene they're sitting there in the in in the bath like what do you want for lunch tomorrow like it's almost (laughs) that dramatic (laughs) the game the game is pretty lengthy though right yeah so you you watched the entirety i did it was like it was like a 54 four video youtube series and i if, how much did you play though you played i played about three hours of the game okay. i actually got caught in a bit of a, a loop because the okay. gameplay has some some issues but we'll, we'll get to that later yeah, yeah but it's really well written i have to say in the self-contained if you ignore the the tonal shifts when you're in a scene where people are just talking interpersonally it's really sort of sensitive and, and tender and when yeah. you're in these tense scenes where there's a crime scene or, or some investigation or something going on it's you're, kind you're of very realistic. much drawn in. Yeah. yeah, it's really realistic. I think in that sense, they kind of capture the uh, the emotion and the sarcasm and the uh, some of the panic too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All in the dialogue, really well. Um, there's a, I mean, this visual novel, so there's mostly dialogue with some point and click elements. But um, I watched probably about four to four to five hours of it, and I played about four or five hours, and I, I figured that was good enough to get an idea of the game you know i couldn't go all the way through it but anyways let's go ahead and get into our next track we already heard the uh main noon for woman let's listen to main noon for man which is also titled day kojiro and this is using the opna sound source
That was Main Noon for Man or Dei Kojiro using the OPNA hardware. And this was composed by Ryu Umemoto. I don't know what it is about that track, but I feel really anxious once it goes to that new key center until it resolves like two thirds of the way through. It's like, it's kind of got this nice thing. And then it's just like, I feel a little bit tense the whole next minute and a half or whatever I know, it is. I know, I know. But this is uh, an excellent track though, dude. It's, it's so really, good. It's really good. I, I love the chorusing effect stuff that happens towards the end where it's just, you have, you know, again, the counter melodies coming in and the whole way through the percussion and the bass is just keeping the whole thing moving. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to hear that bass solo out real quick? Oh, I love hearing bass lines. Let's do it. that slap bass sound. Yeah, it's really convincing too. Yeah, it makes an appearance throughout most of it, but hearing it, it sounds really, really good for an FM patch. Yeah, there's something about this track, because this is fairly early on in the game as well. I mean, all these tracks kind of intertwine. There's You visit different places, like, repeatedly, so you'll hear this soundtrack maybe, you know, in the beginning of the game and then here at the end of the game again yeah um, yeah so but there's a lot of music and uh just an, an excellent track and this is one that i this, i'm really fond of yeah this is the corollary to the noon for woman or marina investigation track so you right. hear it in a lot of different places right. throughout the game right. so let's get into our next track this is the bar using the opna was the bar theme 
composed by Ryu Umemoto for the OPNA Sound Source. And are you getting some deep Manabu Saito vibes oh on there? Oh my god, yes, yes. <laughs> that's that's 380,000 kilometers of emptiness right there for me. I, Is that I first, how you feel in the bar? Because that's the... <laughs> He captured it if that's what he was going for. Yeah. I I mean, this is his style. This is like what Umemoto is all about. Like that's the, true. The but bar, this one bar. specifically feels very much... It's got some of these weird, like, almost atypical elements. Like, some of the percussion hits are just kind of there. In, like, a weird... You don't know like exactly when they're going to hit. Yeah, there, there's little yeah. stabs. Yeah. I, I really, really love this style of music. It's almost improvisational kind of but like calculated yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know i get you this is a great track a great track and this is um exactly what umemoto is all about is like these bar scenes like he's just he he thrives in this uh genre like if people could just whenever you have a bar in a video game if he could do the sound for it like i think everybody would be set he's just a, a master of master the shop bar i'd listen to a collection of these tracks oh no yeah doubt. i would play it if i had a shop bar I'd play it all the time <laughs> So anyways, let's take a break here and talk about the game designer and writer. I know this show is mostly focused on the music and that's, I mean, it's 99% focused on the music, but there's something that's really interesting about the other creative minds that are involved in the process. And I think that um, Hiroyuki Kano is an excellent person to bring up. Yeah. So in addition to being the game designer and scenario writer for Eve Burst Error, Hiroyuki Kano also wrote one of the more famous visual novels, which is about to get a release in the West, actually, you know. So he's worked on quite a few games. Some of the ones we've mentioned are Xenon and Desire, all of them featuring music by Umemoto, and actually Takami. Uh, he's, right. In some of those games, he's had a few tracks, not all of them, but uh, you know, both of them had a pretty good role. Kano grew up reading a lot of mystery and science fiction novels, including the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, Sherlock Holmes and that sort of thing, no doubt. Uh, John Dixon Carr, Ellery Queen, and Isaac Asimov. His love of fiction led to some of the work that he would do later on in his career writing for visual novels. After graduating from Hosei University, Kano joined Himea Soft under the Seasware label around 1993. His first role was as a programmer on their first game, Fatal Relations, which we actually mentioned earlier in the show, and then as a scenario writer on the game Love Potion. He would then go on to become the game director of the game Desire, which was a breakout hit, and introduced the multi-site system, which was reused and expanded in Eve Burst Error. This is the system that allowed players to see the story from multiple characters' perspectives. Right, right, right. So that is the core game design conceit of Eve Burst Error. It was actually one of the first visual novels to do this as a as a core game design. Exactly, and that's something that we wanted to bring up earlier, but we figured this is a good place to, to talk about it. Yeah, so even though he left Seasware in 1995, he actually worked on Eve Burst as a freelancer. But Eve Burst was such a huge success, selling over 300,000 copies in Japan, it launched an entire series. So he had a huge impact, not only on the series, but also just on visual novels in general. Right. Shortly after the release of Eve Burst, Kano joined Elf Corporation, where he'd work on his most famous game, which was, you know, a time-traveling adventure game featuring three characters instead of just the two, using a series of flowcharts and being able to travel through parallel timelines. This is actually something that I see all the time in modern visual novels, like the 999 game. Or Steins Gate. Oh, totally. And and he was actually listed as an influence on a lot of the designers, including the developers of Steins Gate. Right. So it's not really a name that you would hear so much, but... His influence is, is felt. 
is everywhere in all in that whole space he is kind of like the he is one of the masterminds behind what we know today as a visual novel yeah and it's a genre that's really picked up a lot in non-japanese regions i think it's making a it's making a big thing in the in the west now too I've heard Steins Gate referred to as one of the best visual novels of all time. Yeah, I've played it through twice, and I love it. Absolutely I've, love it. I've played it a bit of it. I've really enjoyed what I've played, and I can definitely see that influence of sort of interlocking stories and characters playing off of each other. Uh, it's but obviously, just the writing yeah. is so good. The writing is incredible in that game, and he's just so influential now at this point. Yeah, no doubt. So after his time at Elf, Kano would leave to form his own company, Abel, in 1997, so he'd have more control over his games. The first game, probably their most famous, although I'd never heard of it, was Exodus Guilty. It launched a little mini-series of games oh, in 1998. Huh. Never Another time-traveling adventure game. Yeah, I had never heard of it, too, but it also features three protagonists, so I really enjoyed that sort of multi-threaded yeah, kind of storyline. Yeah, trifecta, line. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so over the next 13 years or so, Kano would create a few more games, including The Gentleman Detective, Card of Destiny, and the Mystery series. Sadly, uh, Hiroyuki Kano passed away on December 19th of 2011 at the age of 43, just a few months after his close friend, Ryu Umemoto, who we've talked about a lot, and both of them were really sad and tragic losses. Yeah. I mean, these were really amazing, just contributors in their own way. I mean, these guys are both so young, man. We're, we're not that far away from that age. We're really not. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's getting to be like, oh, man, starting to feel a little more impactful, I think. But um, yeah, let's get into some more music. This next one is called Tristan from the OPN Sound Source, composed by Ryu Umimoto. That was Tristan, composed by Ryu Umemoto, using the YM2203. You know what I love about that track? It it uses a theme, actually, we haven't heard up to this point, it was in, but it's introduced really early in the game, that mm-hmm. sort of... But it really ties together all of the other elements that you've been hearing a lot, like the sort of heavy percussion and those bass line, that sort of slap bass kind mm-hmm. of sound. Mm-hmm. I think this is my favorite version of this theme. Yeah, no, I could see that. Yeah, it sounds really good on the OPNA too, but uh, I think the OPN is just 
it sounds like it's getting to its roots. I don't know. There's something something magical about how Umemoto uses PSG. He really makes these chords just swell and sound so, I don't know, like vibrant and lush, even though it's just square waves. It's it's something is truly magical that he can accomplish. And it, it you know, really complements the rest of the track. There's that one moment pretty early on in the track where everything drops out but the flute melody and it just starts getting louder and louder and louder. And I'm like, what's, what's gonna next? happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I love that part. That that do 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 that's all taking place on that extended channel, that extended FM channel, by the way. So it's kinda neat that, you know, this sounds so lush when you get seven channels of of or seven voices mm-hmm. and we wouldn't normally hear this much coming out of the YM2203. And so it's just these creative people putting together such incredible work and really pushing the hardware to its limits. I think this is a good testament to that in this track. Yeah, the whole soundtrack for me has been just an exploration of what you can do with FM, but still maintaining a relatively cohesive set of sounds. Right, 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 right. All right, so we've been playing some more laid back tracks up to this point. But I think it's about time we kick up the energy, give it a little bit more of a up-tempo track. Something I like it. I very like different it. from what we've been hearing up to this point. This is Sakuran or Confusion by Ryu Takami. That was Sakuran, or Confusion, using the OPN sound source composed by Ryu Takami. So many good things about that track. (laughs) This one's intense, dude. I love it. It's crunchy. It's just like the LFO on that bass is just sort of... Yeah, you can see it running up. It's just... it's. Oh, man. There's so much um, technical um, 
fear in this, <laughs> in this track. It just feels like I'm in some kind of like mad scientist laboratory trying to run for my life. And I, this brings up nothing but panic. I love it. Whenever I hear track. that sort of, uh, what is it called? Morse code line that starts the track, my ears perk up every time. We, he we hear that a lot in the soundtrack, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of Takami tracks use that motif and, for... And, and I think he actually got that from Umemoto. I think he heard something. So I read this somewhere that he had heard Umemoto doing something that kind of sounded like a Morse code kind of thing. And he actually, that wasn't intended to. And mm -hmm. he played on that and just made it kind of his thing and made like this Morse code kind of sound throughout some of his tracks. So yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah, it has a bit of a technological feel, I guess you could say. And it's yeah, used that way in yeah, a couple yeah. of tracks later. Because we all know that, you know, like computers and hardcore stuff goes with uh, with Morse code. And beeping. beeping. Just lots of beeping. Lots of beeps. <laughs> so let's talk about the gameplay a little bit. Sure. It's not that intense. The game's pretty straightforward. It's just a straightforward visual novel. Yeah, I mean, it came out in 1995, and visual novels, at least in terms of, like, interface interaction, were still pretty bare bones. It was yeah. a lot of just, like, click on the dialogue option that you want to hear. Essentially, the interface consists of two windows. There's this top main window that shows the area uh, that you're in, the portraits of the people you're talking to. Yeah, and the below, backgrounds. And yeah, and below that's, like, the dialogue window. Point. It's It's like a point-and-click interface, but yeah, it's a point-and-click interface. Honestly, <laughs> that's that's we can talk a lot more about it, but that's really all that it is. Like, yeah. even in the more intense action scenes, it's like, click, oh, throw punch. Yeah, okay. well, that makes it sound horrible. Yeah, but no, I mean, but it's, I mean, it's, not. it's it's really, you know, combined with the music and the, the graphics, it's really uh, very effective. But when you break it down to just the pure gameplay, it's really just like clicking from a text option in a box. Right, and sometimes asking multiple people the same thing until they say something different. There's usually one to four conversation topics per context. So you can kind of choose, like maybe they um, have something that kind of is supposed to catch your eye in the corner, like a lamp or something yeah. like that. And so you can ask uh, one of the characters, hey, like what's going on with this lamp? And they'll be like, oh, it's nothing. You ask them again, they're like, oh, well, I guess I'll tell you now. Yeah. And so, for more important characters, it's more like ask about subject one, two, three, or four. So they might talk a little bit about themselves or you know, something that happened to them earlier or what they're doing. You know, it really depends on the context. Maybe you run into a character you weren't expecting to see and you ask him, why are they here? Or what do you know about this thing? Right. Or do you want to like punch this dude in the face? <laughs> I mean, it comes out like the, I guess the fight scenes are kind of like that, right? You can, uh, you can inspect something on the table or you can throw up, you know, a left jab or something. You know? So this is a question I have for you since I didn't play the Japanese version, but what I found is in the English version, there were a lot of these like comedy options. There were like, oh, there these... was a lot in the Japanese. Okay. Version yeah. So you have these dialogue options that have nothing to do with the conversation. It's usually meant to like throw you off. Yeah. Or... You're like, you're talking to your boss and it's like, sit on his desk, you know, strike a pose. And it's like, stop doing that. <laughs> Cut it out. Like there's the a lot thing. of that kind the of same stuff. Thing. And first, when I first saw it, I was like, what like, <laughs> is this the right am i doing the right thing here like what did i what options are there? but yeah it's it's kind of all over the place and i think you know that there is a lot of comedy in the game you know aside from like the male chauvinist side and the you know partial you know well the full nudity and sex scenes it's you know it's, it's got its moments well i mean i don't know if it's really that you're making it sound a little bit worse than it is in terms of the nah, nah, I think the content. Not, I think it's about that bad. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, good. It's, it's pretty tame, honestly. Yeah, it's tame. 
but really the key innovation here that we talked about earlier is the dual character system. Yeah, what isn't really immediately obvious when you play the game is you actually have to complete both storylines. So you'll play a little bit of the game and you'll get to a dead end where it's like, you've exhausted all the options, you've talked to everybody, you can't seem to make any progress, so you're actually meant to switch over to the other character and advance the story. Until you get to the part where they intertwine. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. sometimes you might even have to go a little bit beyond, so you have this sort of leapfrogging thing where you have to do some kind of event trigger in one storyline, and then you kind of go back, and now they, a new area opens up, or a new conversation topic. It's a right. little bit more obtuse, unfortunately, because it was a bit of an early game to use this kind of thing. Nowadays, if they were to do it, it's like, hmm, I wonder what would happen after I do this. Yeah. And and so it's very, very obvious with the clues. But, you see that a yeah. lot in, like, Sierra games, actually. Like, not, not necessarily the dual character system, but, you know, you pick up something and you're like, what am I going to do with tweezers, right? And then you end up using it, like, three-fourths into the game. <laughs> you know, it makes a comeback somehow. Or these very obtuse things that back in the, you know, early 90s, kind of worked and made sense because it wasn't being done that much yet so i can see that yeah, yeah and, and i i definitely understand what they were going for like that i i think it's a really cool idea just to be able to see the story advance and what's really a little bit odd is you actually sometimes will talk with the other character it isn't just that they sort of are passing by so you'll you'll have gone through with as one character and then you'll talk to them and it's a very different experience as compared to controlling them so right. I just thought that was kind of a neat facet of the game. I think so too. And you know what? Like if you have the means to play it and you can find a copy of the game and want to give it a shot, I think it's I think it's worth it just to at least play through a little bit and see kind of what was the gaming culture in Japan at that time. Because I think this game speaks a lot for that. You know, what was what was um popular or what they wanted to do. And I, I don't think there was anything like extremely groundbreaking. I think it was more like they were bringing anime to to the the player to where you actually had some say it was like one of those choose your own adventure books yeah essentially. although i will give one piece of advice if you do play there's a bit of a i don't know if it's a bug it's just sort of a design flaw where if you leave a room after a conversation you'll have to re-trigger the same dialogue option so like oh that's definitely a design text. flaw for sure it is but i mean it was coded that way yeah so like one of the problems is it can be hard to figure out which conversation to trigger the next thing so Maybe you'll ask about the plant twice, but you had to ask a third time for them to say, oh, you know what? It's getting late. I'm kind of done with this conversation. I'm going to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and if you leave the room and come back, you have to ask three times, not just like one more time. So yep. try to like do everything that you can with one person. Exhaust all of your options, basically. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get a little bit frustrated. Yeah. Which, I mean, it happens with visual novels. Yeah. Right? Especially the earlier ones. Yeah. So let's get into our next track. This is Kono Hombucho office marina for the OPNA sound source.
All right, that was Kono Hombucho Office Marina for the OPNA Sound Source, composed by Ryu Umemoto. That's such a beautiful and delicate track. Yeah, it, the chords are chords I, are off the hook. It's so good. Like right from the beginning chords, it's just like so. I don't know. It's just emotional. Track. Yeah, I really like it, and and especially when the two instruments and the melody are sort of overtaking each other and trading off parts. Mm-hmm. It's a short but sweet track. Yeah. Always a classic, right? I, I like this one a lot. And it sounds great in both versions, too. And I think that's something really cool. You know what? This is probably a good time for us to do a little comparison between the OPN and the OPNA. I OPN think so, a. yeah. Yeah. So that was the OPNA. Let's take a listen to the OPN real quick. Just a minute of it. see like there's nothing you would lose hearing the opn soundtrack by itself it's so good on its own it's a little bit flatter with the dimensions like it feels like there's a, f- a bit more of the dynamic range in the there's OPN like four version. less channels though so you know like there's less with the psg that essentially is being replaced by fm on mm-hmm. the opna so there is you know a lot more rich timbre that you can do and, and with those voices and i think that that you know simple square waves it i mean he, he makes beautiful use of them but you know they're still just psg you know and so i think that you lose some of the delicacy that maybe you would you know you gain some of it you, in the opna you, version you go, yeah. gain some of it in the opna for sure and so i think that that's possibly a reason why so let's get into our next track this is ikoi or rest and in other versions of the game it's called shopping and this is the OPNA version of the track composed by Ryu Umemoto.
All right, that was Ekoi Rest, which is also shopping for the OPNA sound source composed by Ryu Umemoto. Yeah, so I what's up with the shopping? It's thing? a weird one. I <laughs> I was watching a playthrough of the game, and if I'm not mixing this up, this plays when uh, Marina is going shopping with. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the character that she's uh, guarding, but they experience like either in a kidnapping or a murder or some kind of thing. And then, and they, then just, they just decide to go off and like, have a, have a spa day. Just like <laughs> go, just get away from all of that, like horrible energy and, and have a, have a nice time. Awesome. Yeah. It was probably, you know, m- written like they probably just said, Hey, Umamoto, we need a, this kind of restful track, you know, something that's like kind of easy going. It's like, here you go. And then uh, they're like, Oh, well, I guess we might as well use it for, you know, two um, women hanging out at a mall. You know, I really like the, the the Japanese tracks. The original ones are sort of like what the placeholder was designed. They're a little bit more uh, naked, if you will. Like, right. oh, this is a this is the noon track for the man. This is the the rest track. This is well, bars the same in, in right. all of them. But it, it it's kind of like they renamed them to be more fitting of the game. But it's kind of cool to get a little bit of insight into the thinking behind where these tracks were supposed to go in the game. Right. So if you beat the game. Uh, for the PC-98, you get a sound test, which is awesome. And that's how I'm playing a lot of this stuff back. And we uh, we can listen to the music, but we can also see the track names as they were in the game, what the, the original track name was titled. And that's where this first the first names are coming from, just rest in this case. So this is a great track, though. Um, very smooth and very relaxing. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think it's just a, a lot of fun. It's maybe not as uh, dynamic as some of the other tracks, but I just really like the the kind of the, the bossa energy. It's very it's very light and fluffy. Yeah, and the OPNA even does it uh, a one over with the excellent percussion that we get. It's very snappy. I like the kind of wood block sounds or or um, what rim shots in there it's very nice very nice and very uh, clean fun to listen to yeah the opna version is good too but i do like the extra the oomph that you the, get this, this does version. yeah this does give it a little extra the soundtrack itself was uh released so there is the eve burst era original soundtrack which was released in 1998 by king records and this is interesting because it's all of the music from the saturn port of the game which actually had a much larger install base so the game wasn't as popular on the PC-98 as it was on the on Windows and Saturn. Just a testament of the time that consoles were overthrowing everything else as far as games go. Less people had computers, they were expensive, and, th- and that's it. And so the Saturn version got a, a release, but uh, the original OPN sound source never saw anything, you know, hit the light of day. Yeah, not officially than, anyway. Not officially, no. However, the reversal happened 10 years later on Egg Music and the Umemoto Rare Tracks Volume 4, Eve Burst Era The Perfect. And this is a two disc set, about 50 tracks arranged by Umemoto himself. Worked really closely with Haley from Egg Music on this to make this possible. And actually, to get some of the information correct here around the PPC mm-hmm. driver and the PC 98 versus the 9886 version, I actually spoke with Haley about his um his kind of work with umemoto on this they were very close and putting this uh rare tracks volume four album together and so um, he had some great information that i'm able to share with you guys and uh takami also did some of the mastering he on did it some of the well. ma- yeah. yeah he did some of the mastering on it for uh for this rare tracks album as well and the perfect sells for about 
50 bucks and the original one is is much less because nobody really cares about the saturn version i almost want to subject people to the saturn let's play version. let's play it let's yeah. play it yeah so which track which track let's you just do the one we were just listening to this is rest okay yeah think umemoto was too happy with how that turned out i would say that does not do the soundtrack justice at, <laughs> at all. all and the thing is the saturn version looks beautiful it looks yeah really the good. graphics took a really big jump upwards like they're the pc 98 has a little bit more of that like low color thing yeah to it, yeah just because of the hardware and it I, still looks good though it, it does but the saturn version is sort of what you see in the later windows versions a lot more like nicer backgrounds and better colors and nicer yeah. animations and things like that for sure for sure i think the windows version uses the same midi soundtrack as the saturn right it's close enough that it might just be whatever midi source you Approx- have. So approximation like, you have like yeah. way you know the like a roland or, or something it would have been really cool to see the saturn version doing fm it would have, but I, yeah, yeah, I know that's a lot to ask considering this was a port, like yeah, a, like an on-the-spot port. But you know, um, we purposely left all of these these tracks um, out for for that very reason. But there's know. like a few that sound okay, but for the vast majority of them, you're hearing the best versions of them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so let's get into our next track. This is composed by Ryu Takami. This is called Madness. Crisis for the OPN sound source. That was Kyoki or Madness, also known as Crisis, for the OPN sound source composed by Ryu Takami. And this is a ton of energy all bundled into a few minutes. Another hard-hitting techno track from Takami on this one. Yeah. 
I especially like the um, the the part where it gets really frantic. That well, the whole song is frantic. Yeah. <laughs> where it gets like the dun 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 dun. I can't even can't even make that move fast enough with my mouth. But uh, the wailing guitar solo is really nice little touch. Doesn't really go anywhere um, other than just hits that one that wow 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 the high note and then it just starts over. But um, still. A lot of energy. I can see a total rock band. Pretty good use of effects, though. There's some like filtering and swells and pitch bends. It's definitely not as uh, melodic, if you will, compared to some of the Umemoto tracks. I don't think the track is meant to be that way. I don't think way. so, yeah. yeah. So, again, this is using all seven channels with the extended channel in there. Yep. And um, But so I do like those staccato notes that you were talking about, this sort that's of, what da, I was, da, 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 sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. I just can't move that fast. <laughs> My mouth just doesn't do it. Uh, but very cool track. So let's get into our next track. Let's play something from the OPNA. This is Hacker, also composed by Ryu Takami. from Eve Burst Error, composed by Ryu Takami for the OPNA Sound Source. This is another one that he uh, is busting out his Morse code skills. And This uh, one, more than anything, reminded me of Illusion City. It totally does. <laughs> Even more than the other track that uses that same Morse code thing, it's got that, like, those chords sound very much like dun, the dun, OPLL. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah. A lot of fuzz in there. I think that's part of it, too. Yeah, yeah I, it, again, this is not one that goes too many places. Even the ending is a little bit, like, mild. But at least it has that third part where the chords change and it's sort of like, ooh, nice little, nice little break. Yeah. So we talked a lot about the game so far. The graphics themselves are pretty beautiful actually i think on they both are versions really nice 
but a lot of the scenes are pretty ordinary just because the setting is like the modern day Japan, like schoolyards, warehouses. There are some intense scenes and close-ups, but like the day-to-day average things are not that crazy. It's mostly about like the character, I think, artwork that's because the characters, when you're speaking, they'll be kind of front and centered to where they're overlaying all the background stuff so they don't really fit into the scene they're kind of like like a layer on top yeah but that's how you can see the dialogue between them and i think that that's actually really effective for this right and i think a lot of other visual novels did the same thing too yeah and i don't think the game was one thing that i really got a sense for with kano's writing is it wasn't meant to be this completely fantastical unbelievable thing like i i think this sort of intrigue and spy and mystery stuff was meant to feel practical or uh it was meant to feel plausible right 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 like you could put yourself in the role of one of the characters and oh no i've got caught up in this big mystery yeah i think so too yeah so this next track is called determination or kitsi composed by duo umemoto using the opn sound source was determination composed by ryu umemoto for the opn sound source this is a i mean i don't have a lot to say it's a great track but it's um it's just it's very soothing and it's kind of the essence of this whole game right it's mellow kind of low-key but a little airy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i like it keeping the 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 pace moving though let's jump into our next track this is also composed by umemoto this is called Kaiwa or conversation or common conversation. We're going to play the OPNA version.
great track. That I was, know, that, I was know. that was Kaiwa or Conversation, composed by Ryu Imamoto using the OPNA. I think this is this is one of my favorite tracks. It's, it's so understated. It feels like it's going to explode, but it never really gets there. But it works so well. Yeah, well, it works you up too because you really want it to to you know kind of peak, and then it just calms you back down. It's really it's really good, very just brilliantly composed. It works and, really well in the game too. I've you know I you play enough of it that this one comes up pretty often. I mean mm-hmm. it's a common conversation. Pretty much any time you're talking to somebody that's not a person of interest or like a, a main NPC, like mm-hmm. you go and mm-hmm. like talk to the librarian or whatever, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah, random yeah. people. But uh no this this uh, play with notes and like the tiny little accents thrown in just give it so much character and that's such a an incredible feature of Umemoto and his composition style is just really utilizing every aspect and never making anything even those silence part those silent parts they're all just meticulously calculated and calibrated to make this wonderful piece of music come to life and i think that that's something that um even though he's not around anymore we can appreciate for a very long time yeah and I think a lot of people in VGM really talk about Umemoto, and it's honestly for good reason. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, the Eve Burst series we talked about earlier in the show, if you can remember, because that was forever ago now. Um, but there were a few games that spawn as uh, this game's popularity got you know greater and greater. Yeah, so over the years, you saw a number of games. Uh, the first sequel is called Eve the Lost One, which was released in 98, I believe, for the PS1. Adam the Double Factor in 99 and the cleaned-up remake Eve the Fatal Attraction. We talked about those games. Uh, after that, you had Eve Zero in 2000, Eve New Generation in 2006, and actually very recently there was the Eve Rebirth Terror in 2019, uh, which is a brand new game. But what was also really common is Eve Burst actually saw quite a few remakes. There were three different versions of the original game remade, not just the ports for Windows. In 2003, there was the PS2 version Eve Burst Error Plus. In 2010, for PSP, there was Eve the First. And Somewhat recently, in about 2016, there was Eve Burst Error R on Vita, which had another port on Switch in 2018. So yeah. this is probably the most singularly popular game in the series. Right. Eve Burst Error kind of set the standard and I think was the most cherished, the most well-cherished, because the Windows and Saturn version mostly, but you know that... You know what I really think it has to do with is the writing and the music. For sure, for sure. It is the only game in the series that had the involvement from... Uh, Kano. From Kano, yeah, and from Umemoto directly. directly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of the remakes would reuse the music from the first game, but the arrangements just aren't there. I was listening to all of them, and... I went through them, too. They're yeah. fine, but they, they lose the spirit so much. Like I, I think so. The most recent one's not too bad. I think what... Umemoto really excels in is the the kind of noir aspect to his music. It captures that feel perfectly, and I think the other ones didn't really hit it home like that. No, and it, yeah. it really just sells the idea that you can have better instrumentation and all of that, but if you're not using the tools effectively, like, you know, in objective terms, this FM synthesis is a lot simpler and less capable. Mm-hmm. Like, you could you could do all of that in software today, but they're just not they're just not capturing the mood that they really need to big time 
So moving on, let's get into our next track. This is called Pinch or Theme 5 from Eve Burst Air, composed by Ryu Umimoto. That was Pinch or Theme 5 from the OPNA version of Eve Burst Air, composed by Ryu Umemoto. Well, whatever that bomb is doing, it's about to go off. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, I'm sure that's the like the final climactic scene that's it, right before it, the end. Yeah, for sure. Did you get to that? I didn't. Part? I don't remember. I mean, I, I heard the music, but I don't remember exactly what's going on. There's something. It would have been different anyway, because I think. Did you watch the PC98 playthrough? No, you no, watched. It was, it was a Windows. A Windows playthrough. playthrough. So it was probably using like the MIDI version anyway. Yeah, it didn't have quite that punch. But it was definitely... Uh, I mean, we could certainly listen to it on the uh, the Sega Saturn if you want. No, no I'm good. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's, let's keep things moving and get into our next track. This is Ending 1. This is taking stuff down a notch. So this is Ending 1, and this is the OPN version, composed by Ryu Umemoto. Thank you. 
All right, that was Ending One or Micro 101 from Eve Burst Error, composed by Ryu Umemoto, and that was the OPN version. Yeah, this is a. First of all, sorry if you thought we had it laid out too quietly and you turned the volume up in your car or on your <laughs> on your uh, your phone there, and then it explodes, you know, halfway through. But um, no, I, I think this is like we both really really liked this track, so we wanted to make sure we had it in here because first of all, it doesn't use the same theme as a lot of the other tracks. There's not that same reoccurrence. In this one, it does opt for something a little different, which I think is equally as delicate and just such a such a wonderful thing to listen to and amazing ear candy. And like the swelling of the the PSG is always nice. And also the um, the arpeggiated chords. But really what the star, I think, is, is the FM and it's kind of echo counterpart it just kind of trails behind yeah. it and then kind of goes in its own direction i think that's so clever and so nice you know even before i watched the ending credits to this game this thing immediately said bittersweet yes melancholy tragic like all of those things and then i watched it and i'm like ah yeah this all makes sense it is a, such a strange story, and the ending takes a weird twist. I'm not going to spoil it for you. You know, if you want to play the game, you don't. Go ahead I'm still and play like, it. still got halfway to go, man. But yeah. it's it's such a effective piece of music, even by itself. That I, you know, I can imagine after however many hours, it really just pays off to hear it in context. Yeah, it's so beautiful, but like, just like there's this tenseness to it that you you just feel like frustrated listening to it it's unfeel yeah like some it's like it's not fair yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's exactly not fair <laughs> that i have to listen to this amazing track <laughs> anyways so um well hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode it's been a very long one it's this monster of an episode but we we had to do it for this one i think it's just there's too much great music and uh there's a lot of context around it and the game has just an incredible significance to gaming history I think it was I think it was worth it. So today we covered Eve Burst Error on the PC98 composed by Ryu Umemoto and Yu Takami. If you want to know more about the show, you can find us online at pixelatedaudio.com for our show notes and the track list. And we can also be found on Twitter at Pixelated Audio. If you like the show, you can leave comments or feedback on the website or on iTunes. And you can always join us on Discord yeah. for a conversation. We've got lots of people in there talking about all sorts of VGM throughout the ages. New, old, original music, whatever. It's a great server, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. So we do have some news. Mag West is happening again. It's going to be the third year. I'm really excited. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? You're involved again this year? Yeah, I've been running the jam space for the last couple of years, and uh, I've been helping run a couple of different parts of the event, and uh, we're back yeah. for our third year in a row, actually. We're going to be doing a panel at what what time? Sunday at 1230. Okay, yeah. So if you're around on Sunday around lunchtime, <laughs> come join us for something. We don't know what we're going to do yet, but... We're we, still figuring that out. we got a few weeks. Yeah, we're we good. have some people we're going to be talking to at the event, but for the panel itself, we still got about a week to... Maybe two. Yeah. yeah. Well, since Kobayashi's already announced it on her Facebook page and stuff like that, I think uh, we can go ahead and say that we're going to be doing an interview with Saori Kobayashi, who is the composer, or one of the composers, of Panzer Dragoon Saga. We have been planning on doing an episode with her 
long ago and we got we had an interview lined up and then now she's coming to mag west so we're like well let's just do the interview in person so it's gonna be a lot of fun i also had the distinct privilege of helping plan the concert that's going to be going on in the jam space so kobayashi is going to be performing some of her music on saturday at around two o'clock so if you guys are there it's going to be a really really awesome one this year yeah and then uh we have a few other interviews lined up around mag too so it's gonna be it's, it's gonna, gonna be jam packed for us. Season, yeah. We yeah. have a couple lined up after the event, but we're gonna be in the editing room for a long while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. If you're new to our podcast, make sure you check out some of our past episodes. Yeah, recently we did episode 114, Music Disc Volume Four. A lot of great music on all of those music discs, and they're essentially a lot of these composers from games. Sometimes before they before they were, games, you yeah. know composers oh they were paid to be composers right yeah yeah many of them actually got jobs from the work they did in those uh music discs and that's how they got into some of these soundtracks we've also got episode 87 starfire with takashi abo never never stop boosting that one yeah great fm sounds and also episode 55 granada we don't talk about that one too much, but it's got some really solid FM music. It's got in some there. great music. That's the Sharp X68000. Mm-hmm. And I think we played some of the stuff from the Genesis, too, if I remember correctly. But yeah, that was a fantastic soundtrack. So you should check that one out. Yeah, um, and of course, we talked about Ground Seed quite a bunch. But if you haven't listened to it, check it out on VGM Rips. There's actually both versions of the soundtrack for, what is it, OPN and OPNA? Yep, yep check it out there's a lot of music sample accurate stuff that you can listen to and explore and it's just a, a really great community we're really thankful to be part of that um we have one more track taking out the show if this episode wasn't long enough this is a great one though i'm excited to take the show out with it this is ending three also known as the staff role composed by Ryu imamoto thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you back shortly for our next episode <laughs>